Fruit Reflections, Deepening Our Christian Spirituality for Today. In this, the fourth session of the Moot Lent course, Giving It Up for Lent, Vanessa Alston explores the theme of transcending the ego and the dying to self. So tonight, um, I actually need to change the title of the talk that I put on the um, Moot website. I think I've called it something like um, Power Constrained by Love and Growing into Responsibility, uh, which I thought sounded quite good. But now, um, it's not really the true title. (laughs) And uh, I think it's probably something closer to this, which is um, Transcending the Ego or Dying to Self. And uh, I think in hindsight, I can see why I didn't want to call it that. Because who wants to come to an evening about dying to self? (laughs) Um, And I have to be honest, this week's Lent course has been the hardest one for me to prepare. And it probably says something about me, about where I'm at, and that this topic is not easy anywhere, and it's not easy for me to talk about, because I have to say that I'm really just stumbling along myself in some of these areas, that I'm only just beginning. And I wish I could say that I've lived this way for many years and speak from much experience of this path... (laughs) But it's not the case. So, um, so I just want to say I'm standing up here with a big L plate on. Um, I'm like the learner driver you get stuck behind. It takes five minutes to pluck up the courage to pull out of the junction in front of you. <laughs> it's a bit what it's like standing up here. Um, you know, why on earth did I put myself up for this? And I guess the concern is, is that I'm really going to have to live this stuff and it makes me feel a bit anxious <laughs> because I too feel the resistance in myself. Um, So, tonight I'm going to just share a few thoughts about what do we mean when we say dying to self or transcending the ego. And I guess we need to sort of talk a little bit about what do I mean by terms. What do I mean when I talk about ego, the Latin for I? What do the terms... And I guess in, um, in the language of spiritual transformation, terms like false self or small self, all get interchanged with ego. But what are we talking about? You know, we could say that the first part of life has to be about forming an ego, a healthy sense of self. So why on earth are we talking about transcending it, or even worse, dying to self? Is the ego bad? Are we to reject ourselves? Is this what dying to self means, to hate ourselves? Who is the self that has to die? or the ego that must be transcended. And I think the language can appear um, life-denying, miserable and mean. Have any of you seen Son of Rambo? It's a film about a little kid who makes a film. But if you've seen that, the the kind of religious community in that is my example of kind of life-denying kind of thing that you want to go 100 miles from. Um, And it seems, and sometimes I just think, you know, when we hear the, the idea of dying to self seems to be the very opposite of abundant life that we are promised in the Gospels. You know, Jesus says, I've come to give you life, life in all its fullness. The fullness and deep satisfaction that I believe we're made for. But he also says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it yields a rich harvest. So what on earth is going on? How can we have both at the same time? Abundant life and dying to self. Why is it both? Can we please just skip this death part? Can I please not do week four of the Lent course? 
can we stay at week two with a promise of deep satisfaction and life in the spirit? Christianity has something radical at its core that I have found difficult to come to terms with. And it's precisely this issue of death being necessary in order for new life to be born. But there seems to be no way around it. It's the door to life. When Christians are baptised, they are baptised into the death of Christ in order that they might rise to a new life. They participate in both the death and the resurrection of Christ. So in this act of baptism, what self is dying? Um, I'm going to have to do a little bit of Christian theology at this point, so apologies. (laughs) But in order to attempt for me to explain what it means, what this teaching means that the self has to die in order for transformation to happen, I guess I need just to touch into some things. So all of us, all humanity are born into the middle of a story, and we've got no choice about that. You're born into the middle of a long line of family history with all the plot lines that are working themselves out, and you get to inherit them. And we're all desperately trying to figure out the beginning and the end of the story that we're born into the middle of. And Christianity, of course, has its own version of the beginning of the story. You probably know it. It's a story about a man and a woman who are placed in a garden, they eat an apple, and they're then expelled from the garden. And theology has called this story the fall as a way of saying that something happened way back in our very beginning that has set our humanity off course or made it a lot harder for us to reach our intended destination. So what happened? What is this story of the fall and the expulsion from the garden about? Well, I'm just going to try and say it really simply. That I think that instead of us sort of facing outwards, if you like, towards God, to be known and to know, to love and be loved, to be filled and fill in our turn. Humanity has turned away, and in doing so, we've sort of turned in on ourselves. We've become locked into a universe whose forces we either fear and seek to placate, or we master for our own benefit. We set out on our own to conquer or be conquered. We set out to redirect creation from God to our own created selves. We wanted the knowledge and power and the glory. But the cost of that is that we become separated from God, each other, and ultimately our own selves. Something happens whereby we end up serving a self that ultimately threatens to trap us into an existence of futility, a life deprived of its larger significance, story and meaning. In Christian terminology, the ego or false self is this fallen self, the self turned in on itself. What we might call today the narcissistic self that has only itself as a reference point. We literally can't see past ourselves. I just thought I'd take some very ordinary day-to-day examples about actually, I think, in a a very normal, everyday life, we actually do have to learn to go beyond ourselves, to learn or grow just as human beings. So if you think about, to learn to learn, to learn to study, you have to give your attention to something else. You have to know how to concentrate on something that isn't you. And in that sense, everything where you're giving attention to something else is a bit like an act of love. When you lose yourself in a book, 
when an artist creates something. In fact, I think any good or true work requires part of us to get out of the way in order for it to happen. Um, another example is like having a relationship. Have you ever tried to have a friendship or a relationship with someone who's so full of themselves that you think this is just never going to work? There's absolutely no room for me in this relationship. It's all about them. Or another example is leadership. Leadership does not operate well when it's all about serving the needs of the leader's ego. A good leader has to have got beyond their own ego, or the organization ends up serving that person's ego rather than the person serving the organization and people in it. Um, someone who's inspired a lot of us in MOOC, uh, a Franciscan called Richard Ruhr, he set up a center for action and contemplation because he'd spent many years working with activists who wanted to change the world for the better. But the trouble was they were still operating out of this old self and ego. And what he sort of after, observed after many, many years, he just felt actually we're just continuing the problem rather by solving it. We can't be part of the transformation we wish to see around us unless we ourselves have undergone and are in the process of undergoing some, that kind of transformation. They work together. We can't opt out of our part of the change required. And I think that the change that is needed requires that part of us has to change so fundamentally and radically that we can only call it a death. I think last week I gave you a quote from a sort of 14th century German mystical treatise, and it talked about truly living for the good, that if you live for the good, you seek love and pursue goodness as goodness for goodness' sake, for nothing but the love of goodness, not for the love of the I, the me, the mine, or the self. And for that to be the case, there has to be a radical realignment at the center of who we are, the part of us that resists this, that kind of rebels against it. The self that's fixated on self, stuck in the prison of I want, me, myself, it has to step out of the way. It has to die, I think, if we to discover what life really is about. If we're so full of ourselves, there's no room for anything else. So self-emptying is not for the sake of being miserable, it's to make room for something else. But we have to let go of what our hands are currently full of in order to make room. I think it's as big a change as the sun no longer revolving around the earth, but the earth revolving around the sun. It's like we're meant to orientate around another. We have to start to see and experience life in a completely different way. But this kind of change is so radical that we use words like death and birth. That we die to ourselves, locked up in itself in order to open ourselves to another reality. We turn away from one way of living and open ourselves to the possibility of another way. But the only thing that can turn us around, I think, is grace. It's something coming in from outside, an unconditional love and acceptance that takes us out of ourselves. Because we can't get to this place through our own efforts. But we do have to be willing. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't just do it by an effort of will. But we have to be able to say, I am willing. Please help me to change. Please help me to open up. So next week, I'm not here, but Ian is going to look at the steps that actually take us to this place. And I just want to finish by saying, it is steps and it is a process. There can be a tipping point, a moment of radical shift, when something changes fundamentally, but there are also many small steps. We start from where we are, and we take the next, the next step in order that we can take the step after that, and the step after that. And we're in a process 
of letting go of one way of being to grow into another way of being. Because if it happened too quickly, we'd be obliterated. It has to be gradual. So that the little small I can come into harmony, into union with the greater I, the greater good. But it's ultimately a win-win. That's the incredible thing. It's not an obliteration or a domination, but a union of two eyes, two wills, in harmony and love for one another. We are to be brought into a relationship that exists at the heart of reality. But to get there, the self that has become distorted has to be shed, has to die, so the new self can emerge like a butterfly from a chrysalis. Thank you for listening to this Moot Reflection. For more information on our events, resources and community, please go to www.moot.uk.net.